every male cancer patient should discuss with their oncologist how their treatments may impact their future fertility potential. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Lawrence Jenkins, a urologist and the director of the Men's Health and Male Fertility Preservation Program here at the James. In a previous episode of this podcast, episode number 28, we spoke with Leslie Apia about preserving fertility in female cancer patients. Today, we're going to talk with Lawrence about the men's side of this important topic. Thanks for joining us, Lawrence. Thanks. Thanks for having me. First, before you fill us in on the Male Fertility Preservation Program and why it's so important and why men need to know about this, give us an idea of the types of cancer that a urologist sees and and how this can impact uh, a man's fertility or even other types of cancer that could impact fertility. So a urologist typically takes care of all the cancers involving the male reproductive system and the urinary tract. So that includes testicular cancer, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer, um, and then specifically for uh, fertility preservation, you're also concerned about other cancers just affecting the general area of the pelvis and reproductive organs um, that could put them at risk for uh, failure in the future. When you say other types of cancers that could affect the pelvis region, is that the the treatment of those cancers or the location of them that that would do that? Technically, it could be both. So colorectal cancers, the rectal cancers are very close to the nerves that control ejaculation. So for some of those patients who have radiation, chemo, surgery, or something going on in that area, they may have difficulty with ejaculation after their treatment. Oh, and and could the same be said for prostate cancer? So prostate cancer is not going to affect ejaculation as far as the nerves. It's going to affect ejaculation as far as most of the fluid comes from the prostate and seminal vesicles. So if you take out those organs, there's going to be no ejaculation. Oh, okay. And and is it true that prostate cancer perhaps is older men that although some may still be interested in in having children. So probably the vast majority of prostate cancer patients are no longer interested in having more children or children in general. Um, But we do see some patients who are in their 40s, so younger, and may have not finished their uh, childbearing years. Wow. So it's it's interesting because I thought of this as, as perhaps testicular cancer would be the majority of, of what you see in terms of fertility preservation. But what you're saying is anyone who has any cancer, you need to talk to your doctor about the possibility. Exactly. So, you know, cancers like leukemia, lymphoma, where they're going to get chemotherapy or get like stem cell transplant, bone marrow transplant. And that also requires a lot of chemotherapy. That chemotherapy kills the fast reproducing cells like the cancer cells but the other cells that also reproduce really fast are the sperm cells oh it's fast uh, chemo kills fast producing cells which are cancer cells right is that also why you lose your hair yeah because they're the also fast yeah. producing so everyone sort of knows that but they didn't know about uh sperm reproduction Exactly. Wow, that's and testosterone production. And test. Oh, okay. So it's like a, a double. They're, they're right next to each other. So okay. So what should a man like? So when a uh, a patient, a man, comes into your fertility clinic, what 
what do you talk about? How do you, uh, you know, what information do you need and how do you sort of address and take care of their, their fertility issues? Well, at the James, we actually start out with our nurse practitioner um, who handles kind of like the primary consults and does the counseling as far as how they go about fertility preservation, uh, talk about the risks and benefits of fertility preservation. Uh, the thing that makes it easier for males is that all they have to do typically is provide a sperm sample. So it's non-invasive. You know, they can just go to the lab and do it. Um if they're unable to do that, that's when it gets more difficult, and that's when I get involved for possible alternative methods. What would make a man unable to produce the sperm? Um, is that would that be related to his cancer or the or the treatment? So it could be. It could be they're too sick from the cancer, or the you know prior to their treatment, too sick from the cancer, um, which causes it. You know, they're too weak to masturbate to pr- create a sample. Um, other reasons would be if they had some kind of treatment um, in the past, let's say, that caused nerve injuries to the ejaculation nerves, then also they wouldn't be able to provide a sample. What, what do you do in those cases? So the preferred next step is electroejaculation. We use a machine that causes electrostimulation to activate the pelvic nerves for ejaculation. And if that, if that fails, uh, then we'll go straight to the testicle and get a sample from the testicular tissue where the sperm is created. A surgical procedure of correct, sorts. correct. So, so is there ever a case where you can't get a, a sperm sample? Well, the case would be if they are just not producing sperm. sperm. Okay, so that's no, okay. So, so we're so gonna so get, we're gonna get tissue, but the question is, is there sperm sure. being made in that tissue? Oh, okay. So that can happen. Correct. Okay. So what? And I guess this is an obvious question, but a, a, a man does that. What, what do you do with that sperm sample, and how long can that last? So the sperm, the sample, the tissue, however it's obtained, the sperm is frozen, and it's good indefinitely. So then it falls doctor. over to the female but, reproductive right. specialist, okay. um, reproductive endocrinology and fertility, OB-GYN, who they take the sperm and either do intrauterine insemination or in vitro fertilization to create an embryo. Okay. And, and I think what most people, when they associate uh, infertility in men, think of testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how you treat that and how you help those men preserve their fertility. Well, testicular cancer is most common in men in their teenage years up to their mid-30s. And there's also a second uh, kind of peak uh, 50s and 60s. We treat testicular cancer primarily with removing the affected testicle um, and then based off of the type of cancer, because there's multiple subtypes of testicular cancer, um, the further treatment can be observation, could be chemotherapy, could be radiation, could be further surgery. It all depends on what type of treatment it was. So a man can still uh, have productive sperm production with one testicle. Um, but sometimes they'll get cancer in the other testicle and need that one taken out too. What, what are the percentages of, in, in most cases, is it one testicle that's, that's involved or, or how often it is, is it both? The vast majority, it's one testicle involved, but they are continued monitored to see, 
have to make sure that it doesn't recur or form a new cancer in the other testicle. Because if, if you've had cancer in one testicle, are you more likely down the road to get it in, in the second one? Yeah, you do have a higher chance. I, Basically, anything in medicine, if you have it once, once you have a higher, higher chance, chance of getting it again. So if a, a man has uh, cancer in one testicle, do you go through, through the procedure of preserving sperm? So most people leave it up to the patient to preserve with just doing an orchiectomy, so removing one testicle, if they have a, a normal remaining testicle. Um, leave it up to the it's the it's the patient's uh choice right it's not kind of like a hard recommendation it depends on who you talk to so i would recommend people do it at any stage because you never know what's going to happen yeah and your ability to uh, provide a sample may go down well not necessarily but you know let's say you suddenly need chemo there's still typically time to wait at least a day to provide a sample before starting the chemo. So providing a sample is the easiest thing. Um, and most of the treatments can wait a day to provide a sample. That, that sounds like it would, would make sense to just, why take the risk? Just Exactly. It's an easy procedure. Let's get, do it. <laughs> the problem that we do run into is cost. Yeah, and that insurance. And, what, what, and lack of insurance coverage for it. So freezing... Um, and the storage fee does vary by location in the country. Uh, but there are some newer companies popping up that are trying to aid in reducing the cost of storage fees and freezing uh, to aid in that fertility preservation world. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Lawrence to talk more about uh, fertility preservation in men and the, and the program here at the James. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Lawrence Jenkins, and Lawrence is the director of the Men's Health and Male Fertility Preservation Program at the James. And Lawrence, give us a sense of of what's new in terms of of research and procedures that that you and others around the world are looking at and working on. I think the biggest thing in the male reproductive fertility preservation world is trying to help prepubertal boys preserve testicular tissue and hopes the boys of, who have cancer that could correct boys who have cancer diagnosed before they hit puberty. So that means that they're not making sperm yet. Right. So they're not able to provide a sample through the normal means. Um, so the research right now is if we take testicular tissue, that's pre puberty, pre sperm production. So it's uh, the stem cells prior to the sperms actually made. If we take that harvested and preserve it in a certain way and, are we able to reimplant that for them to then grow sperm in the future after their cancer has been successfully treated? So that inherently has concerns of if they have certain types of cancer, lymphoma, leukemia, testicular cancer, could you get cancer cells um. when you do that sample and put it back in? Um, 
would you give them potential okay. cancer again? So that's one of the areas of concerns. Uh, right now, the research is still in its early phases. Um, last March, this past March, I just saw an article where they successfully had a live birth in monkeys. So, where, where they did that procedure. Where they did that procedure. So this is very similar to what they do in females um, for ovarian tissue preservation, where they'll explant it prior to treatment and then later put it back in, and they've had successful uh, pregnancies with that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of about that, but there are a lot of children diagnosed with, with leukemia mm-hmm. and could get a lot of chemotherapy that 8, 10 years old, and that would impact their ability to have children. And Exactly. You're, you're, in the old days, you just thought about saving the child's right. life, life, but now we're at the point where we're, we're, you're thinking about their long-term quality of life. And a good number or part of my fertility practice are patients who had childhood cancers and had a lot of chemo. And now they're at the age where they want to start a family, but they're having difficulty because of either none or minimal sperm production. What, what do you, can you do to help them, particularly when they have none? Is there anything you can do? So in that situation, if they have none in their semen sample, we would go to the straight to the testicle and search for possibly small areas of production um, and extract that, and they can use that for IVF with ICSI. IVF is in vitro, in vitro fertilization Why to not? the point where they take a sperm cell and put it inside the egg because the quantities, are, if we go straight to the testicles, are going to be significantly lower than an ejaculated sample. Which is why you need the IVF to get Correct. it right on target. Correct. So that must be pretty amazing and rewarding when, when someone comes into you with this issue. I can't have children or I've not been successful. I've been married five years. We're trying to have a child and you're able to help them have a child. In those cases when we are successful, because we're definitely not successful every time. Um, it is very rewarding to see that end result. So our biggest thing with the James is trying to educate everybody, you know, the providers, the nurses, the patients to realize that fertility can be a questioning. It can be at risk. And if they want to know more or they want to preserve fertility, it's something I should ask about before their treatment rather than after the treatment. Lawrence, in addition to causing fertility issues, can these types of urology and related cancers cause other problems for men? So, yes, a lot of the uh, cancers that we deal with, prostate cancer, rectal cancer, bladder cancer, uh, can have direct effects due to the surgery or erectile function. Um, some of the cancers like leukemia, lymphoma, where they get chemotherapy can cause decreases in hormone production. So testosterone, male sex hormone causes decrease in production. They have less desire, less libido, uh, and the difficulty with kind of like wanting to have intercourse. So those are very important things that they talk about with their oncologist or being referred to a specialist to learn how they can assist that because, Sex is a part of everybody's lives, right? You know, that's something that they do want to get back to oftentimes after their, their treatments, you know, it's just about normalizing, trying to get, get through it. It's that survivorship world. What, what can you do to help men who have low testosterone or have issues from surgery or chemo? How can you help them have, get back to a, a somewhat normal sex life? So there are options. So low testosterone, we can just give them testosterone, and it comes in different modalities, injections, uh, 
gels, pellets placed under the skin, um, and that can get them to a normal testosterone level. Is it, are there any side effects with that? So we are concerned about the increased uh, levels of testosterone causing increases in red blood cell production. Uh, so we monitor that. And then we monitor to make sure they don't have any problems with like too much acne, breast swelling or tenderness, mm. leg swelling, things like that. So uh, testosterone is one way to help men. What are, what are, what are right. another? And then for erectile dysfunction, the age-old Viagra, Cialis, Vitra, mm-hmm. those types of pills are kind of like where we start out. Um, and those can help boost their erection, erectile function. Um, the pills are, you know, you have to take some planning to decide when you're going to have intercourse or try to have intercourse. So you take the pills ahead of time. Um, if the pills don't work for people, there's other options, alternatives. Um, my next step after that is penis injections. Sounds painful, sounds crazy, but it's almost painless. It's a very small insulin needle that's injected into the shaft of the penis with a medication that's very strong, a lot stronger than the pills that is able to cause more blood to come into the penis and keep it there. And does that last for a certain amount of weeks or months? No, or? no they would have to do that for each, each erection. They have to do it themselves. Correct. We trained them how to do the, it. Wow. So it's like a, it's like a Viagra Cialis, but stronger and, and jet and injected directly into the penis. Correct. So a lot of people, get, well, not a lot of people, but some people get side effects from the pills um, that prohibits them from taking the medication. So the injection, our own main side effect is it working too well. So we do start at a lower dose and work our way up so we don't get into that area, but they don't get the side effects of, you know, heartburn, headache, or vision changes like they would take what happened with Viagra. So some people switch from the pills to injections just to avoid the side effects okay um, the medication takes about five to 15 minutes to kick in lasts on average 30 minutes my upper limit's 90 minutes um, and we train people how to do it so that they can have you know happy sex lives again yeah i would imagine it, it sounds like something i'm sure all men sort of cringe at at first but you'd get used to it yeah. and it just becomes part of your life exactly i mean like the everybody cringes when they first hear about it um, but when they actually try it, you know, when they actually get the injection, they're like, oh, that's it. That, yeah, it's easier yeah. than I thought. Yeah. It, the thinking component is like <laughs> takes it way out of the, the normal realm. See, that's interesting. I wonder if a lot of men, just based on the way society is, are embarrassed to talk to you about these things at first. Is, is that an issue you find that that you have to? help them to get to the point where they're asking you the right questions and telling them the, the sexual problems they may be having. Well, usually by the time they make it to me, they've already kind of crossed one bridge to be willing to talk about it. For a lot of them, it is difficult to talk about it. Um, I think I would imagine that for seeing just their regular doctor, and actually I hear this a lot, seeing a regular doctor or oncologist, they're afraid to bring it up. Because they're, they're talking about just like their overall health. They're talking about their cancer treatment. But it's like talking about sex is almost taboo. So they, you know, look for alternative options. They'll go seek out the clinics that you hear about on the radio that are just trying to make right. a buck um, rather than seeking out, you know, a true doctor. 
So you have to guide them through the steps and, and help break down that uh, barriers. Exactly. And I mean, not everybody responds to the pills or injections. And there is surgery for penile implant, which is kind of like a bionic penis, if you kind of think about it. It gives them an erection whenever they want for as long as they want um, in just a matter of pumps. So it's kind of the closest thing to spontaneity that they might get because it's with them all the time and ready to go in a matter of pumps. Is that fairly common or is that because I, I don't really have not really heard of these. Is it how Again, common is it? Taboo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People don't talk about it. It's not as common as breast implants, but they do about, I believe it's like 30 to 50,000 implants a year. Yeah. So yeah, people don't, it's not as common as, you know, you might think, but people out there have them and just don't talk about it. So that's a great point for, for all the men listening or women, uh, anyone listening that you have options talk to your doctors about them exactly because a lot of people just think there's no options the pills don't work i don't have any other options i'm done and they give up and they give up and could live another 30 40 50 years yeah well thank you for joining us and and filling us filling us in on this important topic thanks for having me happy to be here this podcast was brought to you by the ohio state university comprehensive cancer center Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.